Welcome to the latest podcast from the Plastic Surgery Journal Club. Each month we review an appraiser journal article, typically from PRS, and summarize it for you in this podcast. The full journal can be obtained from the PRS website. Hi, welcome to the April 2018 Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery Journal Club coming to you from St. Vincent's Hospital in Sydney, Australia. This is Damien Marucci. I'm here with Dr. Inez Presida. We're talking about a paper from the March 2018 PRS, which is evaluating trends in headache and revision surgery following cranial vault remodeling for craniosynostosis by Pelliser et al. from Seattle Children's Hospital. So Inez, what was this paper about in a nutshell? So the reason for doing this paper is because the recommended treatment for craniosynostosis is the cranial fault expansion surgery. And one of the most significant um, postoperative complications is intracranial hypertension. And headache is among the most common symptoms in patients with this intra- intracranial hypertension. So what they're trying to achieve is to examine whether there is any specific factors that are associated with increased risk of developing postoperative headache or intracranial hypertension after this surgery. Um, the study that they're doing is a retrospective cohort study they recruit all patients with craniosynostosis from 1995 to 2010 uh, with five or more years of follow-up visits and they include patients who were transferred to their hospital after undergoing initial surgery at another hospital. Um, They have in total 383 patients. Um, They put it into three groups. The single suture non-syndromic synostosis is one group. Um, Another group is multi-suture non-syndromic synostosis and the syndromic synostosis group. Um, there is no significant difference between patient characteristic in terms of sex, age of first surgery, or time of follow-up. Um, 81% underwent the initial cranial fault surgery between 0 to 14 months. Um, and interestingly, 30 patients did not undergo any surgery at all, even though they were diagnosed with craniosynostosis. So in terms of measurements, they look at headaches um, and the diagnosis of delayed intracranial hypertensions. Um, which were defined as having papilloedema or elevated intracranial or lumbar pressure or any finding of intracranial hypertension in the CT scan. They also look at the presence of Chiari malformation or secondary craniosynostosis from a CT scan that was done two years after the operation. So the results that they found um, is that 33% of this patient's population complain of headache after the surgery. Interestingly, 30% of patients who did not have surgery also complain of headache. Um, so headache is quite a common uh, s- uh, complaint when they have a follow-up visit. Out of these uh, patients who uh, have intracranial hypertension, 21, uh, sorry, out of these uh, patients who have craniosynostosis, 21 required revision surgery for intracranial hypertension. So it's actually quite small proportion, it's only 6%. Um, And 57% of patients who go on and have revision surgery complain of headache. So this is an interesting point because there are patients who develop intracranial hypertension and require surgery, but actually never complain of headache. In terms of specific factors that um, are more likely or associated with having intracranial hypertension, they found that having syndromic synostosis, having bilateral coronal synostosis, uh, or minor sutures, or patients with Chiari malformation or with secondary synostosis are more likely to have 
intracranial hypertension, and subsequently refusion surgery. Patients with headache were almost three times more likely to require refusion surgery compared to those who never develop headache. But the positive predictive value of headache uh, indicating intracranial hypertension is actually quite low. It's only 9.4% among all patients and 6.7% among the non-syndromic craniosynostosis. They do look at uh, specific features of the headache and whether there is any um, characteristic that are more associated with intracranial pressures. And they found that headache occurring in the morning with associated photophobia, nausea or vomiting, occurring more than once a week, one or two times a month, or associated with decreased activity level, were more likely to be associated with intracranial hypertension. So the conclusion that they draw from this study is that patients with specific headache characteristic, patients who have syndromic craniosynostosis, secondary synostosis, or Chiari malformation have higher risk of developing delayed intracranial hypertension. So the good things about this study is um, that it has a very uh, large number of patients. It's one of the largest cohort patients with craniosynostosis, and it has a reasonably long follow-up uh, with an average of 11 years from diagnosis. However, it is a retrospective cohort study. It might have a recording bias um, for those patients who have surgery. They might be asked more specifically about their headache compared to those who doesn't have surgery. And the numbers of patients who require refusion surgery for intracranial hypertension is actually quite small, which is only 6%. Um, so the good thing from this study is they come up with an algorithm based on their finding. So they recommend uh, further investigation and a close follow-up for patients with these features that are associated um, with higher risk of developing intracranial hypertension. And another point to make is um, that there are patients who never complain of headache who actually develop intracranial hypertension and require surgery later on. And so in addition to looking into the specific um, factors that are associated with um, intracranial hypertension, um, uh, you should also look at the head shape and follow it through in your follow-up clinic because those patients who never develop any or never complain of headache might still have symptoms such as regression in heads and head shape and you might want to do further investigation to look whether they actually have intracranial hypertension. Yeah, that's an excellent summary of the paper. This was a really interesting paper looking at uh, an issue that um, those, those of us working in craniofacial clinics struggle with and that is uh, how to investigate and manage headaches. Um, I thought the results were absolutely fascinating. It was very reassuring that only 6% uh, of patients uh, did require any revisional surgery for rated cranial pressure. Um, it was a bit scary that, you know, 43% um, uh, of patients who did require revisional surgery actually never had a headache. Headaches, obviously, one of the most important things we do ask about. Um, it was very impressive also that they were able to drill down into the specific nature of the headache when this is just a retrospective chart review. So obviously they've taken very good notes during their clinic to actually differentiate between whether the headaches in the morning, the afternoon, at night, whether it's associated with decreased level of activity. And that's um, something that certainly we'll start using in our clinic um, from now on. They didn't mention head circumference, although they did mention deteriorating head shape. So uh, I'm not quite sure whether they're actually looking at head circumference. That's something which many of us use. 
One of the things, the only thing they didn't sort of mention was the role of sleep studies, especially for syndromic chronosynostosis, because there's a well-known association uh, between obstructive sleep apnea and rates into cranial pressure in uh, syndromic uh, patients who have mid-facial hyperplasia. Uh, that's sort of the only, only other thing that they might want to add into the algorithm. Because if someone does have headaches and obstructive sleep apnea, it may be that uh, by managing the obstructive sleep apnea, the headaches will go away. But thanks very much. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts, head to soundcloud.com or subscribe to us on iTunes and search Plastic Surgery Journals. Remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Thanks also to the PRS Journal team for their ongoing support.